Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Santa! Oh, my God! Would you please tell him that instead of presents this year, I just want my family back. Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? It must be magic. I must find some way to keep Christmas from coming. Nobody's walking out on this fun, old-fashioned family Christmas. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? True, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Welcome to another episode of Tis the Podcast, a podcast that's determined to keep the Christmas spirit alive 365 days per year. I'm Anthony. And I'm Tom. And I'm excited, guys. I think we're all excited this week. I'm really excited. And I, and I need it after the last couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, I think we scheduled it perfectly. And tonight is Harry Potter's birthday, July 31st, when we're recording. And J.K. Rowling's birthday. So what better night to record our episode on the Harry Potter Christmas scenes and chapters? But before we get into that, Tom, do you want to announce the winner of our contest? I do want to announce the winner of our contest. So we did a randomization. We took all everybody who entered. If you sent us an audio of your worst Christmas story, you got two entries. If you sent us a text version, you got one. And at the end of the day, our winner is Mr. Andrew Perez, that Revit guy. And he will win a copy of or the Polar Express. So congratulations. Congratulations, Andrew. And uh, we'll get in touch with you about how we can send that to you. By owl. (laughs) We could send it by owl. It might not get to you, but we can say we sent it to you. We'll take a picture of it flying off with it. So since I have a feeling this is going to be a long episode, why don't we just get right to it? I'll just run through the credits real quick before we do our histories. And I'm really looking forward to people's histories with this because it's Harry Potter. (laughs) (laughs) So the book series, If You've Been Living Under a Rock, was written by J.K. Rowling. And it was about a boy wizard, an 11-year-old boy named Harry Potter who discovers he was a wizard and his parents were murdered by the evil Lord Voldemort and he shipped off to magical school to uh, learn magic at Hogwarts School and ultimately face his destiny and... uh, Defeat Lord Voldemort. That's pretty much it in a nutshell. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Spoiler alert. If you haven't read Harry Potter by now or watched <laughs> Harry Potter, this episode is not for you. <laughs> no, you should really um, go do yourself a favor, read the books, watch the shows, and then come back. Yeah. But before you do any of that, please answer our question. What is wrong with you that's taking you this long? <laughs> hey. Uh, We'll get to histories in a minute. But <laughs> okay. Ooh, I'm, I'm intrigued. <laughs> okay, so um, there are seven books and eight films. Uh, the first two films are directed by Chris Columbus. Uh, the third was directed by Alfonso Curran. The fourth was directed by Mike Newell. And David Yates directed five through eight. And the first four and number six and number eight were written by Steve Clovis. 
and Michael Goldenberg wrote number five. All right, so who's your favorite Harry Potter director? David Yates. David Yates. I like the dark ones. I think eight's my favorite movie, but I really liked what Mike Newell did with the school side of things in Goblet of Fire. Like that awkward, uh, you know, teenage years, asking girls to the dance and everything like that. I thought he did that really well. The cast of these films, it's enormous, so we'll just run through the main players real quick. Daniel Radcliffe plays Harry Potter. Rupert Grint plays Ron Weasley. Emma Watson plays Hermione Granger. Tom Felton plays Draco Malfoy. Matthew Lewis plays Neville Longbottom. Bonnie Wright plays Ginny Weasley. Ivana Lynch plays Linda Lovegood. Richard Harris played Albus Dumbledore. And after he passed away, Michael Gambon took over the role. Maggie Smith plays Professor McGonagall. Alan Rickman plays Professor Snape. <laughs> Robbie Coltrane plays Hagrid. Rafe Fiennes plays Voldemort. Helena Bottom Carter plays Bellatrix. Julie Walters plays Mrs. Weasley. Mark Williams plays Mr. Weasley. Gary Oldman plays Sirius Black. Uh, yes. Don't forget and that I think that's pretty much all the main people, right? Yeah, literally everybody but um, Professor X in the reboots. Oh, Patrick. Oh, James McAvoy. Literally yeah. everybody but James McAvoy in the... <laughs> <laughs> Great Britain was in these movies but him... And now that you say it, um, Patrick Stewart wasn't doing it either. And Hugh Grant. And Hugh Grant. Although he was originally wanted for Gilderoy Lockhart. Oh, that's right. Oh, that would have been pretty epic. <laughs> it would have been. But uh, why don't we get into our histories? So, Julia, why don't you kick us off? Because I'm intrigued since you just scolded me <laughs> a few seconds yeah. ago. <laughs> so for those listeners that have come to or have yet to come to, but will, the Harry Potter series late in life. I'm with you. I feel you. I hear you. And it's just as glorious of an experience coming to it late in life as it was, I would imagine, as a kid. So I was forbidden to read these books or the movies weren't out yet, but read the books. And when the movies came out, watch the movies when I was growing up because my mom felt like they were satanic and she was kind of into the whole Christian um, attack on witch stuff, right? So I, I didn't read them until my glorious sister-in-law, who loves all things nerdy and awesome, pushed them on me at Christmas time and bought me the four, first four books because she'd heard I hadn't read them. And she's like, we need to fix that. And so she gave them to me. And I was kind of like, okay, you know, better late than never. And as soon as I got, what, three chapters in the first one, I knew that I had to buy the rest of the books because I would tear through them. And I did. It was the kind of irresponsible binge reading where literally nothing else gets done. And Marty was just okay with it. And at the point we had at least three kids. One of them was very little, I'm sure. And I completely neglected my family and my duties. And it was a good thing I was a stay-at-home mom at the time because my job would have suffered because that is the passion and love that you read through these books with. You can't stop because the storytelling is just brilliant and you love the characters and the ones you hate, you hate them so much that you want to keep reading. And they are my favorite books to this day now. And I've spread the love <laughs> to my kids, um, including the seven-year-old now who caught when we were watching for the episode, he was watching the first one. Um, Sorcerer's Stone was on. He's like, you know what, mom, I think I really might like this Harry Potter thing. And I'm like, that's a good answer, kid. That's a good Aww. answer. <laughs> so they're forbidden from talking about it much around my mom because it still gets her a little riled up. But 
inside this house, it's a safe place. <laughs> so I love them. Um, I ended up seeing the movies save for the last two before reading the books. So I wish if I could go back, it would have been perfect to have read them all and then watched them all. But I did it a little out of order, just, just given the timing. So were you amazed when you went back to read the books, how much like was left out of the films? I was. Yeah. And, but I kind of did it kind of close together. I tried to read one and then watch or I watched one and then I wanted to read it. And so it was a little disjointed, but it was close to close together as opposed to probably some people who read the first one and came out and they had to wait for the movie and then do the reread to match things up. And so, yeah, yeah, very different, but I enjoy both things very much. How about you, Tom? Well, um, I watched the movies when they came out. I didn't really read them because I thought, you know, children's books. What does this have for me? Um, but uh, I knew so many people from diverse backgrounds, diverse, um, I mean, extremely varying educational levels from, you know, the point at which I decided to read it was when a friend of mine who um, uh, had just finished teaching at uh, Ohio State University and moved to Tulsa told me how great they were. And I'm like, okay, at this point, if all of these people I know, like Harry Potter, there's got the books, there's got to be something to it. Um, I was working at the time at a bank. Probably shouldn't say this because if anybody who's ever considering me, um, but my job was really slow. There wasn't much to do. We were a small bank and I read all seven books in about a week and a half. So I tore through these books as quickly as I could. Um, and since then, I have not sat down and read them, but I've done the audiobooks more than once. If you have not listened to the audiobooks of these, I highly recommend it. The voice talent for the entire series is just, oh, it's just amazing. Stephen Fry or Jim Dale? Both. I haven't heard Stephen Fry. So is Stephen Fry an entirely separate recording or do they switch off on the books? Because I think we're two books in on the audios. They switch off in the books. Okay, perfect. So you'll hear both. And they are just... I love Stephen Fry's voice. They're, I, I can't... I, you know, unlike the directors, I don't think I can make a, make a comparison. They're, just, they're, they're different, but they're both so... Such amazing voices. Such powerful readers. So, yeah, I've been hooked. I have gone to the Midnight Movie for all of them except the eighth one. Um, well, it's sort of true. The seventh one they did... Was it the seventh or eighth? One of them they released on Thursday the night before. And a group of us from church um, all went um, because orthodoxy does not have a fear of witchcraft, apparently. Um, <laughs> we actually have a, an orthodox fantasy fiction conference. Oh. Doxicon, which is cool. Yeah. Um, I like that. But I'm just, I'm hooked. It's, it's, I feel like I'm betraying Tolkien when I say this, but it has become my favorite fantasy fiction series the <laughs> the the world that that jk rowling has spun and uh the way it continues in different iterations the fantastic beast series has me hooked there i'm just i'm hooked on the entire um pottermore world how about you anthony well i'm assuming anthony likes it because for those of you who are not seeing this right now anthony is holding his elder wand wearing his gryffindor robes and my marauders map that's the best you should have drawn a lightning bolt in your forehead (laughs) i should have given a spoiler alert before i uh, told everybody (laughs) but i I don't think anybody who listens to this podcast has any question about anthony's uh 
love of Harry Potter. <laughs> no. <laughs> so my history with Harry Potter goes all the way back to the fifth grade. So like three years ago? Uh, I was, <laughs> I was <laughs> going to make a joke. If you want, if you want, I, I feel young listening to your stories. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to leave it. I, but, I had a feeling you were thinking something snarky. And I had to beat you to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, mine goes back to the fifth grade. There's a, one of those scholastic book fairs at school. I don't know mm. if you guys have those out there. Oh, yeah. I love those. Yeah, you remember those. Those are amazing. They are still amazing. <laughs> yeah. So for those of you who may not have them, like in other countries, uh, like what was it? Once every few months, Scholastic would basically set up a little book fair in the gymnasium or cafeteria, and the kids and teachers would go through with their little pamphlets to pick out what books the kids wanted to order and they would take it home to their parents and their parents would send in money or a check and then a few weeks later you'd get your book in the classroom in the mail and it was awesome where were your where were your book fairs held julia usually in the library ours too and it was in those big rolling cases that just uh-huh. kind of like shut, you know? And you got to walk away with your purchases and hours. And the best thing is when it's around Christmas time, teachers get a list of the books that the kids like, and then you can buy them for Christmas and they'll ship them to your house. That's awesome. Yeah. I love them. Oh, I did too. It was so, that was magical. Yeah. You would just be excited for days leading up to it. I mean, and yeah. I would fret so much. I just had all of this Ajda walking through and trying to decide what books to get. I was like, I have to narrow this down. Yeah. That is something I have not lost. No. <laughs> at a book nope. either. <laughs> so I picked up the first one at the book fair. Had you heard anything about it? Or was it just kind of a blind, this looks it, interesting. It was a blind, this was before it really took off. I think it was another year, maybe. Yeah. It was probably another year before the fourth one came out and that was really the start of the mania at least stateside but so i picked up the first one and uh i remember when i picked it up my teacher told my mother oh you know don't have him read that because we're going to cover it in class later this year and my mother was like well if he wants to read it, i'm not going to stop my kid discourage my kid from reading (laughs) um so i read it the teacher (laughs) right yeah (laughs) (laughs) so um i read it and I was underwhelmed. I did not really? like it. Huh. And uh, I can honestly say, if I wasn't gifted the second one for my birthday, I probably would not have gone out of my way and picked up the second one. <gasps> I, pro- I probably would have, you know, years later after it got popular, I'd probably have revisited it. But no. So uh, my aunt, Gloria, and I'm still thankful to her to this day, got me the second one. <laughs> and because... I can't have a book and not read it. I read it and I loved it. So I immediately picked up the third. And even though that's my least favorite today, I still really like it. And then, yes, from then on, I was hooked. From then on, I went to all the midnight parties for the book releases and all the movie midnight releases. And um, I was at the perfect age for it too, because the last book came out the year I graduated high school. So I grew up with Harry's trajectory. Oh, wow. And the last movie came out when I was leaving college. So again, like I hit that milestone with Harry. So I was a perfect age for it. Um, but to say, yeah, the, the books are amazing and the impact they've had in my life. Right. So, you know, not to get depressing, but Harry Potter and JK Rowling literally saved my life. Like I was very depressed in high school and bullied and had no friends and anything like that. And those books got me through it all. 
literally like if it wasn't for those books yeah i don't know and it was they were always there for the good times too i met my wife on a harry potter website and and ron and hermione were our cake toppers and the books have had such an impact on my life and i was lucky enough to meet jk rowling briefly in person in new york back in 2012 oh my gosh she did an event with uh she did an event with Stephen King. I didn't meet her that time, but I got to see them live. And um, when her first post-Harry Potter book came out, uh, The Casual Vacancy, she did a book signing and a book event. And uh, you got to the table and she'd sign the book and personalize it to you and everything. So knowing I was going to meet her, I wrote her like this 10-page letter <laughs> and, and asked to give it to her. And she, she took it. And she was like, it was so overwhelming. And then I forgot all about it. Then... Three months later, I get the mail, and there's an envelope in the mail with a Hogwarts crest on the back. Shut up. Swear to God. How are we just now hearing this? Yeah. Okay, well. so so there are pictures on Facebook of the letter. I try. I don't know where the letter is. I, I must have it packed. Oh. Anyway, but there are pictures of it on Facebook. I'll link. I'll share it on social media when this episode drops. But um, so I open the letter, and it's a form letter. You can tell she didn't write it, right? She probably sent it to everyone. But she crossed out the last paragraph in the form letter and wrote at the bottom of the letter and the back of the page, like her herself personally wrote it, addressed things in my letter, said she couldn't believe I was, you know, judging by my letter. She doesn't see why I was ever picked on in school. And she's glad she could help me get through the hard times. Uh, I had put a picture of me and Sarah with Ron and Hermione wedding toppers in the letter just to show her, like, this is how much we love your books. She said, your Sarah's beautiful, blah, 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 blah. And um, I mentioned how emotional I was when the series ended, right? Like, I legit cried. And she wrote in the letter, P.S., no matter how much you cried when you read the ending of my book, I can guarantee you it wasn't as much as I cried writing it. Oh, I love that. But my my favorite part of the letter, I told her she... Like, I had always been into reading. I was into reading before Harry Potter, but she really cemented my love for writing. And uh, I told her that in the letter. And she said, I look forward to the day in a few years from now when I'm attending one of your book signings. And that uh, it was the sweetest thing. And uh, she's just amazing. And I love it. I love Harry Potter. I love J.K. Rowling. And uh, the books, they're like you three, like you two. They're my favorite books ever. So... Consider it a 10 out of 10 from all of us, <laughs> which would make it our only our third ever in the podcast history. It's amazing. You've got to find that letter. You do. You do. I, I do. And I think before we get into the movies themselves real quick, we've acknowledged it before, but let's just acknowledge it again. We know these are not Christmas movies, people. <laughs> I, we've got a few more comments on social medias about that. I just want to make it clear. We know they're not Christmas movies, but the Christmas bits in the movies and the books are very atmospheric. Mm-hmm. If people try to convince me that One Magic Christmas is a Christmas movie, then Harry Potter is a Christmas movie. <laughs> Sorry, Casey. <laughs> and we've talked around Harry Potter so much in this past year. Like We just wanted an excuse to just talk for an hour about it. So we're giving in, and we earned this after all <laughs> the crappy movies we've covered. We've earned this. So give it to us, people. I have to share a text I got, um, speaking of the, the awful couple of weeks we've done in movies. Uh, a friend of mine, Adam, texted, 
and said he's enjoying the podcast. This is the the regards to uh, the Christmas spirit, spirit or spirit of Christmas. Enjoying the podcast episode now, assured by Anthony's strong aversion to necrophiliac relationships in movies. <laughs> <laughs> That's the takeaway. Oh, Tis the podcast hard. is anti necrophiliac. Speaking of necrophiliac. <laughs> I don't like any sentence that I don't like any story that begins yeah, with those words. <laughs> I I did appreciate bringing it back to Harry Potter. I always found Moaning Myrtle's little flirty flirtatiousness with Harry in the bathroom and everything. Like I've always found that very funny. So that you can appreciate, but you can't. They didn't fall in love. <laughs> Harry didn't say, I'll return to this girl's bathroom for twelve <laughs> days every year because I love you, Myrtle. <laughs> <laughs> and Harry was skeeved out by it. So yeah, I found that. Ha ha. Hardy har har. Laugh a minute. So why don't we just jump right into the movies and books and we'll take them in order. So starting with the Sorcerer's Stone or the Philosopher's Stone, as I know the rest of the world calls it. Again, if you've been living under a rock, quick summary of that book Harry Potter, 11-year-old orphan, finds out he's a wizard, goes to Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, finds out the evil wizard who killed his parents is uh, trying to come back from near death by stealing the Sorcerer's Stone, which is, uh, would grant him immortality and is hidden at Hogwarts. And Harry sets out to stop him from getting the stone. And that's it in a nutshell. But Christmas-wise, it's Harry's first Christmas he's ever had and remembered and loved because he's away from his abusive aunt and uncle for the first time in his life. And he's spending it at Hogwarts. And even though Hogwarts is emptied out over the Christmas season, his best friend Ron decides to stay with him. And he gets gifts for the first time in his life from Ron's mother, sends him a sweater, and uh, he receives an invisibility cloak that belonged to his father from an anonymous user who turns out to be Professor Dumbledore helping him break the rules. A user? <laughs> You've been online way too long lately. <laughs> <laughs> from an anonymous sender. He's good mental picture of Dumbledore in front of a big computer screen like <laughs> earphones on and a little skull cap and yeah Harry uses the cloak to explore the school at night he discovers the mirror of Erised which shows to you whoever's looking into the mirror their true their true hearts <laughs> their true hearts desire Harry sees himself surrounded by his parents and a family he never knew uh, Dumbledore shows up and comforts him, but tells him it doesn't do to dwell on dreams and forget to live, and uh, ushers him off to bed. And that's Christmas in Harry's first year. And the movie's pretty actually faithful to that, honestly. They hit all those major points. But the movie, the way they decorated the Great Hall mm-hmm. and the Gryffindor Common Room was beautiful. Yeah. So the score in and of itself has lots of Christmas notes to it, right? Like whenever I hear the Harry Potter theme song, I think, oh, it's Christmas, (laughs) which is very much John Williams and the warmth he puts in his music. But like the Harry Potter Christmas music is even more Christmassy, which is amazing. And it has that really, uh, the first one, so this movie, has that really uh, eerie ghost 
song, the ghost carolers are walking through the halls. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, but it's like beautifully eerie. I loved it. Yeah, I it did is. too. It is. Oh, it's so good. And I love the touch of the snow falling from the sky in the Great Hall and disappearing halfway down. Oh. Yeah. Yes. So well, I did I, write I down think- that this movie has that whole Halloween honorable mention. That's where I was going. That's exactly what I wanted to bring up. (laughs) It's the only movie that does that for Halloween, isn't it? Yeah. Which is weird because the books make it be, they always have a huge feast on Halloween. Yeah. That imagery for Halloween, that is what Halloween should be right there. Mm -hmm. The floating candles put in the jack-o'-lanterns. Oh, I loved it. No, but this movie, just the snow and everything too. And, uh, yeah, Hagrid dragging the tree the Christmas in. tree. Oh. And Professor Flitwick bewitching oh. the ornaments to go up. Yeah, that was more in the book. Well, I guess it's a li- They show him in the movie real quick. They, they do? do? Okay. It's not and near as long as in the book. But it, so, looks, it looks, well, I mean, that's, it looks magical, obviously, but it's beautiful <laughs> the way it flows. But yeah, it doesn't even compare to the description that the, the book gives. Can I mention, though, one part that's in the book that wasn't in the movie that makes me laugh? And I don't know, it's definitely during winter. It could have been during the Christmas chapters. I'm not sure. But Harry and Ron and Hermione are outside in the snow, probably coming back from visiting Hagrid. And they witness Fred and George bewitching snowballs to bounce off of Professor Quirrell's turban. Mm-hmm. And when you get to the end of that book and realize they're basically hitting Lord Voldemort in the face with snowballs, <laughs> it, <laughs> it just makes it so much funnier. Oh, it's so great. <laughs> <laughs> so the Christmas scene in... The movie, yes, but more so in the book because the book's always better, right? Mm-hmm. Is like literally my perfect Christmas. It is with it's the people I love, it's the food I want, the descriptions of them getting the best armchairs in the common room right by the raging fire. Yes, please. Eating until you're stuffed, and then they put he uh, Ron teaches Harry wizard chess um, games. I I love games at Christmas time. Um, when they laugh, I mean, it's just like it's literally exactly what i want every christmas and the weather does not cooperate here in oklahoma but if it did it'd be like that would be the last thing clicking into place i I you know i love about christmas and they emphasize it more in the book and all the books i love how the weasleys took harry basically adopted him as another son mrs weasley would always send him the hand knit sweater and and all the and all the treats and oh i love it Molly Weasley is my spirit animal. Molly Weasley is amazing. Some of the imagery from the movie that isn't as stressed as much in the book are the greeting card banners they have in the Gryffindor commons room and in their bedroom, which I loved. Um, I just, I don't know. When Hannah has gotten, my daughter has gotten super into these and I stop and think about what it would be like sending your kid away for eight months or however many months it was, how neat that would be to get those care packages and those Christmas presents at Christmas. If you're not going to be able to see your family and you know how much more meaning all of that stuff would have. So it would just neat touches like that in the movie. They did a great job. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine sending my daughter away. I get depressed when she's gone for five hours at school. Yeah. (laughs) Did you get any Linus-type moments from the book or the film? 
No. I don't know. For Harry, he kind of has a Linus moment when he has all that family wrapped around him that's totally just adopted him. It's something that he's never had. That probably helps him realize that Christmas really can be a thing that you look forward to. That's true. I'm going to agree with Julia. I'm going to say, yes, there was a Linus moment in this one. I think it's so hilarious that Dumbledore in a lot of these books ends up with a flowered bonnet on his head of some sort (laughs) and how much he just delights in the season. Like he really is just the epitome of so many things, but Christmas, I mean, he's just, oh, he's like so good in the books. Yeah. Yeah. Considering JK Rowling put her own spin on all these, uh, legends and fables and mythology i'm surprised she never like uh mentioned what santa claus or father christmas would be to wizards like if uh he was a wizard himself you know if he existed Mm -hmm. yeah that's true (laughs) all right so movie slash book number two is harry potter and the chamber of secrets so the quick rundown of chamber of secrets is it's harry's second year at hogwarts and um I got to pull up a synopsis. They're running together. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) we started off watching all of them start to finish and we made it through two. (laughs) And I'm like, we're going to run out of time. I think this is the one where Harry goes to Hogwarts and then Voldemort's trying to kill him. Oh, that's right. That's the one. That helps. So um, Christine didn't, I I think I told you guys this before, but I'll bring it up now because it's relevant. Um, Christine didn't think she liked Harry Potter because we went to all the midnight movies and she would inevitably fall asleep. The big comfy chairs and the dark lights, or the the no light, you know, put her to sleep. And so she she felt like she was watching the same movie each and every time. And then when we sat down and watched them at home, you know, over the course of a few days or something, she's like, "Wow, these are really good." (laughs) (laughs) But you know, I mean, how many? The the most of them start with with Harry at home uh, being bullied. Then he goes to Hogwarts something bad happens he's the only person who can save it yeah (laughs) Hogwarts must be so boring when Harry after Harry left school right (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so I mean that yeah that's totally the gist here if you put a little spin on it with the introduction of Dobby the house elf which people are very fond of um and Parcel Tongue and Tom Riddle and um, Gilderoy Lockhart. Gilderoy Lockhart in our first Horcrux, although we don't really know that's what it is. And the introduction of Ginny as a part of the stable cast. I will say that this Christmas in the movie and in the book is one of my least favorites if I have to rank them. Um, in the movie, it's really just atmosphere, right? It's Harry is at Hogwarts again for Christmas. And while that bums a bunch of other kids out to have to stay at school for Christmas, he's delighted. It's his favorite place to be. Please don't make me go <laughs> home for Christmas, which I always love. Plus, I think it'd be super cool to tromp around Hogwarts. The cool one about this Christmas, though, is that Hermione stayed back too. So it's like our trio is together for Christmas for the first time because she was home for the first Christmas, um, which I quite liked, right? Because they got into a lot of trouble and they had a goal on this one. Um, in this book, they actually have something to work for over Christmas break, which is polyjuice potions so they can sneak um, into all the places that they need to get to to achieve their goal and figure out what's in the trap door. And they finished that on Christmas Day. Yes, they do. <laughs> 
So I do love the Christmas miracle. <laughs> <laughs> so I do love in the movie. The movie is kind of short on the Christmas imagery, mm-hmm. but it does have that one magnificent shot of the castle in snow and the horse-drawn carriages going across the frozen lake, oh. like toward the camera, yes. and it's beautiful. Yep, it is, and the food, the whole food spread is just please, yes, please. I do like in the book how, um, so the book explains the great hall looking awesome and the frost covered Christmas trees and streamers of holly and mistletoe on the ceiling. But I love how she specifically calls out the enchanted snow is falling warm and dry from the ceiling. Tell me that does not sound perfect. That's amazing. Like perfect. And then my favorite is that Dumbledore let him in some of his favorite carols. Again, Dumbledore at Christmas really is just the best. <laughs> my favorite Dumbledore. <laughs> and he gets the sweater from Miss Weasley again, and he gets to treat, and Hermione gets him a, a feathered quill, and Ron gets him a book about Quidditch, and Hagrid gets him. I mean, it's just it, it's just perfect. Yeah, no, it really is. But it is just atmosphere. I would say there's no Linus moment for this. No Linus moment. Nope. Just a lot of fluffy atmosphere. All right. So let's move <laughs> I'm okay on. With. Let's move on to the prisoner of Azkaban. And in this one, Harry goes back to Hogwarts and everybody is afraid of this crazed madman who has escaped from Azkaban, which is the, the Alcatraz of the wizarding world that's mm-hmm. protected by dementors and um, really looks scary. I mean, <laughs> Mm-hmm. Everything they show, even and and the person that's escaped is this infamous Sirius Black, who um, does look deranged and frightening in all of the moving posters. But as we learn in the story, uh, Sirius Black is actually um, was James Potter, Harry Potter's father's best friend, part of the the group of three of of his of close friends that were rebel rousers at Hogwarts back in the day, and Harry's godfather. In the end, we find he's a very good guy. He promises. He's like the best guy. He was framed. He was framed, and he comes back, and he's going to take Harry and give Harry the life that he never had. He's going to be Harry's father figure, and Harry's going to have the happiness and the joy that he's been deprived of his whole life, except Peter Pettigrew was this guy who wanted to be buddy-buddy with James and Sirius and Remus. Um, and kind of follow them around, and he's this real ratty guy who is actually a rat who spies for Voldemort, and he slips away. Anyway, so that's where we are. We like Sirius Black. He's a good guy. We love Sirius Black. He's my favorite, uh, he's my favorite. character, Me too. followed by Remus Lupin. Meh. Mine's followed very closely by Snape, but Sirius is, like, my favorite. I don't think Sirius makes my top ten. Oh, I don't really? think Anthony makes my top 10. The best- <laughs> <laughs> All right. So hmm. our Christmas in this book, again, Harry, Ron, and Hermione all stay at Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. They do a little visit to Hogsmeade Village during Christmas. Yes, please. This may be an, un- this un- an unpopular stance to take, but I think it's the most Christmassy scene from the entire franchise. Is the way Hogmead looks. The snow and the town and, and the, the lights and the tree. They and have the that carolers. big tree. Oh. 
and the green um, and red wrapping paper everybody has. And, and I think the book described it best. Um, Hogsmeade looked like a Christmas card. The little thatched mm -hmm. cottages and shops were all covered in a layer of crisp snow. There were holly wreaths on the doors and string of enchanted candles hanging in the trees. So the movie looked beautiful, but the book's Christmas got I liked better because Hogwarts really emptied out this year to the point only 13 people were in the Great Hall at Christmas. So Dumbledore got rid of all the tables and they all sat at an intimate table. Mm -hmm. And my favorite part of this dinner was Dumbledore makes Snape grab an end of a Christmas cracker with him and pull. <laughs> And the vulture witch's hat <laughs> pops out and Dumbledore offers it to Snape. <laughs> and Harry just sees this grimace appear on his face and Snape politely pushes it away and then Dumbledore swaps it for his own. Oh. <laughs> the idea of these 13 people sitting around and eating and celebrating and singing Christmas songs together. Yeah. Oh, it is. It's and it I don't. I, I can't figure out of everything they cut out of the books. This is mm -hmm. one of those things that I just can't wrap my brain around. Especially yeah. when you look like at the it. cast they had. You had Dumbledore, Snape, McGonagall, Trelawney, Harry, Ron, Hermione, and then was it Hagrid? Was Hagrid there? Hagrid was there. Hagrid, mm -hmm. and then you have like three other random, a few other random students. Mm -hmm. Felt it was would, there. Filch. It would have yeah. been Brown like here too. Sorry. perfect comedy mm -hmm. like for the movie. Yeah. Why do we think they would have been needed it like as comedy? It would have been just such a good it, it sets up that I think what what it did for me, I mean, it was funny, obviously. But this is Harry's home. Mm. It builds that case so much deeper that this is Harry's family. This is his home. This is where Harry belongs. Mm -hmm. um, which makes you know, all of those, those times that that's reiterated, the tough decision Harry has to make later in the series to leave mm -hmm. is that much harder because of moments like that, right? Mm -hmm. Where you know that in order to do what he thinks he's doing to save the wizarding world, Harry has to give up everything that's important to himself. Everything that he did not have, that he was denied, is he has, but has to walk away from. It's, it's heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. It is. The other thing I liked about that scene is it really showed what kind of a guy Dumbledore is too like Dumbledore is this revered wizard famous people are intimidated of him and what does he do he personally addresses the little first year kids there at the table by name offering them food and everything like he took the he knew their names he offered them food he included them in conversation the most powerful wizard in the world who Voldemort was scared of and he was <laughs> had the heart of gold I really like that I love, oh, I love Dumbledore so much. Mm -hmm. um, this is the year that Harry got the fire bolt, right? The fire bolt, mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, they were convinced it was anonymously gifted to Harry for Christmas. And Hermione was utterly and totally convinced it was from Sirius Black. And she turned out to be right. She did, but not in the way <laughs> she thought. Right. She was convinced that, the, that it was hexed. And so they checked it out, and it was good, and Harry Potter got to play some Quidditch. So in the movie, they also had this great bit where uh, Malfoy's kind of teasing Ron and Hermione in front of the Shrieking Shack, and Harry's in the invisibility cloak, and uh, mm -hmm. just starts hurling snowballs at him and Crabbe and Goyle, and... 
they freak out thinking it's uh, because the Shrieking Shack has this reputation of being violently haunted and they think it's a ghost <laughs> from the shack. But really, it's Harry and the Invisibility Folk, and I always love that part. I really, really <laughs> liked watching that. I liked anything that involved Malfoy getting tor- tormented. <laughs> Tom, Tom Felton did such a great job of playing a despicable character that you <laughs> love to hate. So movie three has the worst bit of acting from Daniel Radcliffe, in my opinion, and it's in the Christmassy snow and Hogsmeade. And it's after he hears, overhears uh, the adults talking about how Sirius Black is his godfather and Lillian James's friend. Mm -hmm. He runs off to be alone and Ron and Hermione pull off the cloak and he's crying horrible fake crying and then he does that horrible shout he was their friend and he betrayed oh that scene makes me cringe (laughs) horrible acting and on that point i'll say this the first of all even though i come with nostalgia for the books the books hold up nostalgia Mm -hmm. aside the movies do too for the most part but the earlier ones i think are definitely skewed a little bit by nostalgia for me (laughs) The earlier ones. But. That's probably fair. I'm still, I still like them a lot. They still make me happy. <laughs> me too. So does this one pass the Linus test? Nope. Nope. Yes. He's just being contrary. I did. I just want to be a contrarian. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so that brings us to movie and book four, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Quick synopsis for those who haven't read it or seen it. Harry returns to Hogwarts where this year... They're hosting the Triwizard Tournament, which is a tournament between the three biggest wizarding schools in Europe, Hogwarts, Durmstrang, and Bow Bottoms. And uh, uh, one champion from each school is selected via the Goblet of Fire to compete in three tasks. Harry is unexpectedly chosen as a fourth champion because somebody put his name in and nobody knows who, so that's a big mystery. Uh, and because somehow this constitutes a legally binding contract, none of the teachers can get him out of it, even though he was illegally put in the name. But anyway, so he has a little bitter. (laughs) So he has to compete in three tasks, um, stealing a golden egg out from under a dragon, rescuing the person he loves the most from the mer people in the lake, and then getting through a living maze, which at the end of it is a, the trophy, but it turns out the trophy is a port key, which is a magical device that transports him and Cedric Diggory to a graveyard where Peter Pettigrew is waiting, kills Cedric, takes Harry's blood, and brings Voldemort back. Gives it him was. his body back. He's back. So that's basically the gist of it. Voldemort comes back. The wizarding world actually doesn't believe Harry, uh, but Dumbledore does, and Dumbledore's adamant thing, you know, they're heading toward another war, and that's how the book ends. But in between these three tasks is probably our uh, the most overtly Christmas moment in all the books. Mm-hmm. Because as part of the Triwizard Tournament, you have the Yule Ball, which is a big Christmas extravaganza dance for all of the schools that the champions uh, from each of the schools basically come in with their dates and do the first dance and open it up. Let's start with the film first. The film Makes the Great Hall look beautiful. Decked out in icicles and ice and oh, the sculptures. Yeah, it is so gorgeous. It is. All white works so well. That's awesome. With 
the colors of the clothes and it's just, it is, it's so pretty. Although I will say Goblet of Fire is my least favorite book and least favorite movie, save for the last 30 minutes. It's my second favorite movie mm-hmm. and my third favorite book. But the third movie and book is my least favorite. So, Yeah, well, I love that one. <laughs> I do. <laughs> um, but the Goblet of uh, so the Yule Ball is awesome because besides the Christmassy stuff, I love, you know, all the teenage angst with these 14-year-old boys and girls trying to find dates for this dance and how much Harry and Ron are stressing over it. But in the movie, and it's not even in the book, it was one of my favorite additions to the film. It's when Professor McGonagall is teaching all these students mm-hmm. how to dance. Mm-hmm. And she chooses Ron, who's talking and not paying attention, to come up to dance with her and demonstrate the waltz. And Ron is just mortified because his brothers and Harry are all <laughs> making fun of him from the sidelines as dancing with their 70-year-old teacher. <laughs> and, and she's like you can put your hand on my waist and he's like where my waist <laughs> it's just so funny so <laughs> and he's I, so embarrassed i get it, it. that would be so awkward <laughs> um i loved his i loved his formal costume her formal his dress costume. robes yes. Yes. dress robes are pretty magical hermione has the disney she princess so transformation cute. moment where uh mm-hmm. well, i mean emma watson's pretty regardless but in the book it's made a much bigger deal that uh they've never seen her that done up before and yeah she goes on to repeat that descending the staircase in a beautiful dress moment when she is in beauty and the beast years she, later she does <laughs> so i thought it was funny um, um, I, I think I liked her date in Beauty and the Beast a lot more than in this movie. Agree. <laughs> so in this one, she's very chummy with the Durmstrang champion and Quidditch international star Victor Crum. Crum, 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 Crum. Much to Ron's annoyance. <laughs> oh, yes, what? Ron was just a brat in this one. I think that's why this is not my favorite movie because the gravitas was centered around what it's like to be a teenager as opposed to all of the other episodes where like real stuff is on the line. And I get that they're teenagers, right? And that they should also show that, by the way, these kids have real issues that are on a much smaller scale as well that are age appropriate. But that's why my favorite part of the movie is like the stuff that matters in the long-term story at the end in the graveyard. Um, But man, Ron drove me absolutely nuts in this movie. So did Harry, but really Ron. See, I'll this I'll push back on I feel like Half the Prince focused even more on the relationship teenage drama, and I didn't like the Half the Prince movie. Yeah. I like the it, book. Yeah. It had it too. I don't know. We're talking about this being angsty and them having these real life teen problems. Harry Potter has twice at this point defeated the most evil <laughs> wizard in history, Voldemort. He's done it twice. Ron has helped. These two guys, I can't imagine them actually being fearful of asking a girl out. And I can't imagine any girl telling either of them no. So, so it's funny to me because I feel like multiple times in the books and movies, I don't know if it's Hermione, somebody always points out to Harry, you're Harry Potter. They're not good, like... <laughs> but um, that's actually what I liked about Harry, Ron, and Hermione. And J.K. Rowling has said this in interviews too. 
She said, it's easy to forget, given the actors and actresses who play them, who are all relatively good-looking, decent-looking people. But in the books, they're much nerdier and much more outliers than they would be. They're portrayed on a film. But they're still freaking saved the wizarding world. (laughs) That's true. I get your point. That has to mean something. And Julia, in terms of Ron being a brat, He's a 14-year-old boys. Boys tend to mature slower than women. Yeah. I, I mean, I get why you wouldn't like it. I'm just saying, like, I feel I found it realistic at least. Yeah, it probably was. I do like in the books how, or in the book, how um, Harry and Dobby exchange presents for Christmas. I love that, too. And he gives him socks. <laughs> <laughs> Dobby's like, it's my favorite. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> I like uh, one of my favorite scenes in the movie at the Yule Ball was actually cut from the movie, but it's ABC Family tends to edit all the deleted scenes back in, so you guys have probably seen it. Harry's taking, getting a breath of fresh air from the ball, and he's walking around outside, and kids are making out in carriages and stuff. Yeah. And then Snape and Professor Karkaroff come outside talking about the dark mark and everything. And Snape is just going carriage to carriage, blasting open the doors and giving kids detention. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that was an edited scene. Yeah, it's not. Say it. It wasn't in. I didn't see it yesterday, but I just thought maybe we didn't watch far enough. But yeah, how crazy is that? On yeah. the DVDs, you have to go to the, yeah, you have to go to the, the, the deleted scenes to see it. Funny. But I remember the first time I actually saw that. It's just that is that is uh, absolutely one hundred percent Snape. <laughs> oh, it is. <laughs> and we actually get a callback to the Yule Ball in Book Seven when Harry is uh, going through all of Snape's memories, and he sees Snape and Dumbledore off to the side, mm. talking about Carker off in the dark mark. And Dumbledore tells Snape, "You know, sometimes I feel that we sort too soon." Which I loved. But uh, no, this is probably for me in all the movies, the most, it looks, you know, it's a popular one to say, this looks the most Christmassy to me, the Great Hall. It is spectacular. It is. And just like even the music that they dance to until Radiohead comes out and does all the rock and roll songs. Was that Radiohead? It was. There was. That was Tom York. Wow. (laughs) Because, you know, they have to have every British person in this movie. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Not my favorite Tom York, I have to say. I did not care for the music. Anyway, no Linus moment in this one for me. Nope. nope. All right. Well, that brings us to book five, movie five, which is Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. I love this movie and I love this book. Me too. Me too. Yep. This the is starting- a winner all the way around. It is. <laughs> So we've got um, Harry back at Hogwarts. Uh, We have the departure, abrupt departure of Dumbledore um, and the the appearance of who I would argue is the absolute worst villain that has ever lived in any of the Harry Potter universes. And that is Dolores Umbridge. She is worse than Voldemort by a country mile. 100%. Oh. Oh. Oh, this woman cannot stand this woman so in Amelda Staunton though played her perfectly absolutely did but it made me dislike her in everything else I ever see her (laughs) yeah I can't not see she was so good at it that I can't stand her now (laughs) (laughs) um so 
Lord Voldemort is back and most people don't believe Harry. Um, there are people that do. And so out of this uprising is Dumbledore's army. Um, so it's Harry's closest friends who, who buy into the fact that Voldemort is back. So they need to start arming themselves because Dolores Umbridge has completely stripped Hogwarts of its uh, teachings on anything that can help protect them. Um, she's dumbing everything down. She's stripping out all of the good curriculum. And she's basically saying, no, Voldemort's not back. Everything's fine. The ministry has it under control and you're just going to do what you're going to do. And I'm going to tell you what to do. So I love Dumbledore's army. Um, how fun would it have been to be in Dumbledore's army? Like to go behind everybody's back and to be rebels like that. And it just, I love that. This is one of my favorite Christmases in all of the movies as well, because it's a Weasley Christmas and it's our first Weasley Christmas. And it's just, it's perfect to set up Christmas. Um, Mr. Weasley is recovering from being attacked by Nagini and so he's home and so everybody's doting on him, which I'm pretty sure even if he hadn't been hurt, that's exactly how the Weasleys act at Christmas. They <laughs> dote on the dad. Um, so Harry's there, which it's his family. The Weasleys just are at this point. It's just a given. And Sirius even shows up at the end, which adds- Well, it's they're at Grimald Place. Yeah. Oh, they're at Sirius. That's right. They're at, that's right. Which is not the case in the book, right? Um, well, in the book, there's a big hospital. Mr. Reese is in the hospital for a lot of it. At the St. Mungo's Hospital for Magical Maladies, right? Yep. And which, the descriptions of that, I kind of wanted to see it. My favorite moment, I'm just going to say it real quick. I'm sorry. It's not in the movie. It, it's in the book. It's when they visit Mr. Weasley at the hospital, and they're all there. And Molly Weasley is like, Arthur, they changed your bandages early. Why? And Mr. Weasley just gets really nervous and he's like, well, there's this experimental muggle treatment that we thought we'd try. And I don't know if you've heard of it, Molly. It's called stitches. And Mrs. Weasley's like, that sounds as if they were going to just sew you up, but even you wouldn't be that stupid, Arthur. <laughs> and when she says that, Harry, Ron, and Hermione, and Ginny just kind of look at one another and dart out of the room. And as they're closing the door behind them, they just hear Mrs. Weasley shout, what do you mean that's a general idea? <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> I love Mr. Oh, Weasley's obsession him. with muggles. Yeah, you do. I, I do too, because it's a juxtaposition how we all feel when we're learning about the, the wizarding world. Yeah. That's one of yeah. my favorite lines in movie too. What is the function of a rubber duck? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Played so well. So well. I don't even know the actor's name. I can't. Mark Williams. Mark Williams. Gosh, Actually, I can him. I tell a story about him? Yeah. No. This is from our, one of our listeners. <laughs> Why ask if you don't listen? <laughs> so th this, this comes from a thin white duke uh, he, who lives in England. I, I am now a teacher, and on parents' evening, I found out that one of the students has Mark Williams, a.k.a. Arthur Weasley, for a dad. <gasps> I found it hard to look at him without thinking you're Ron's dad. Which leads me on to anecdote three. A few years prior to encountering Mr. Weasley as a teacher, my parents took me to a wonderful orchestral Christmas performance in Birmingham, where all sorts of Christmas songs are played and the crowd urged to sing along. 
Hosting the event was Mark Williams, and he read various Christmas texts, including a wonderful reading of a Christmas Harry Potter scene, which was simply brilliant. I wanted to remind him of that when I met him at parents' evening, but I thought it best to stay professional. We live in the wrong country, Tom. <laughs> we do. I, mean, I, mean, I imagine you walk around England and it's just Harry Potter cast members everywhere, all the time, because literally the entire country was in it. So, so I had asked him, was he as nice as Arthur Weasley? And he said, oh, definitely. He's very smiley and charming as expected. He has a quite a bit of gray and a rough beard now, which I think just made him look more, more wizardish. He also, he was also on, on an odd but hilarious British sketch show that I loved called The Fast Show. So I kept imagining him as those characters as well. And it makes me really happy to hear that he's that nice in real life because I would have been devastated if he was like a jerk. Yeah. Oh, right. Always glad to hear that about actors I love. Yeah. So this has one of the most awkward Christmas tide moments of any movie I've seen. And it's the Cho kiss under the mistletoe that made me want to literally crawl out of my skin and die. Oh. But the mistletoe magically growing as their kid. I, lo- I thought that was very pretty. That was pretty. Anything that was not watching them kissing was pretty. That was not a good kiss, guys. I thought it was, was cute, a, though. It was his was first a, kiss. It was supposed to be awkward. Oh, that was bad. That, was, that needed movie magic. I loved when they were talking about it afterwards. How was it? Wet. <laughs> crying a bit. But... <laughs> oh, God. How embarrassing. So, Christmas at Grimwald Place. Not at the Weasleys, but with the Weasleys in the movie. Um, the Flying Santa. How cool was that? Yeah. Yeah, I loved that. It just didn't have the magical feel that the Weasley house did. Yeah, not quite. But I loved having them all there with their sweaters on. And and then the Sirius Black scene after that where he's talking to Harry in the room with the family tree on the walls. is is It's one of my favorite Sirius Black lines when he talks about we all have light and dark inside of us. Um, so... I like that it's capped off that way. But in the books, um, there's just a ton more detail. But yeah, this one has a lot of sweet moments, but I don't think it has the Christmas feeling moment. No. No, not really. So in the book, Harry, they're kind of detailing what Harry's gotten for Christmas from some of his teachers slash friends. And I love that it says that Hagrid had sent a furry brown wallet that had fangs, which were presumably supposed to be an anti-theft device, but unfortunately prevented Harry from putting any money in it without getting his fingers ripped off. (laughs) (laughs) Best Hagrid present ever. Hagrid's proclivity for objects with teeth. (laughs) The monster book of monsters. I know. I love him. Yes. (laughs) It's like those dogs that have no idea how big they are. Mm. Yeah. That's that's the best description of, of Hagrid. So Tom, do you want to lead us into the sixth movie and book? I think I do. <laughs> the sixth book and movie are both called The Half Blood Prince. I really am a fan of the Half Blood Prince. Mm-hmm. Um I love the book. I like both. I do. I like the movie too. This is where we get our intro to uh Slughorn. So um Dumbledore goes to pick up Harry. And is taking him to the Weasley's home, the burrow, right? The burrow? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the way, they stop to get Dumbledore needs to bring, he needs a new potions professor. So he's going to bring Horace Slughorn back. But uh, Horace Slughorn, you don't know if he's good or bad or what side he's on. 
but Dumbledore knows how to play him like a fiddle. He likes to collect students, quote unquote. He likes to have these students that have been under his tutelage that are famous and powerful wizards. Um, for the record, when they're picking him up, Harry doesn't know he's going to be... Po- Dumbledore leaves it ambiguous, and it's not until Harry goes back to school that Snape's been sideways promoted to defense against the dark arts teacher yep and slughorn got his potions job so dumbledore's you know taking harry as bait because harry is is right now the the most famous wizard in the wizarding world mm-hmm. everybody knows who he is and he's like well he's basically saying harry could be yours too so he got he does join him we see snape we're not quite sure right now at this point um if he's good or bad we see him meeting with some of the we know he's a member of the Order of the Phoenix, but we see him meeting with some of the dark, the Death Eaters. So we're at this point where uh, Snape is forced to make a, an unbreakable vow with Draco's mother that he will protect Draco no matter what happens. And if you break an unbreakable vow, you die. You die. Mm-hmm. So um, as they are getting ready to go and as they're back to school and their um, Snape is going to be... as. Anthony said Snape is going to be the defense against a dark arts teacher. Harry finds this um, spell book that has all of these amazing spells in them. And it's the, the book belonged to the quote half-blood prince. They don't know who the half-blood prince is. As we go along, we learn that the half-blood prince, this was a, uh, a name that Snape used for himself. And he has Snape's book that he's been using the whole time. Can I put interject right there and say I loved how Harry was always terrible in Snape's class, and I think a lot of it came from the animosity he had towards Snape and vice versa. Yeah. But when Harry was actually listening to Snape's advice via all his handwritten notes in the book, he was top of the class at potions. I just mm-hmm. thought that was very uh, poetic in a he way. Was brilliant. I mean, mm-hmm. Snape, Snape's potions were amazing. Um, we do fear throughout it. I think as the reader, the whole time you're thinking it's Voldemort's book and there's something really bad in here and Harry's going to do something he shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're kind of relieved to learn um, that it's not. We also learn about Horcruxes in this book, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. This is the book. This is where they, they first go to the Get Slytherin's Locket. Because this is where Tom Riddle... You see in flashbacks, Tom Riddle is getting that information out of Horace Slughorn. Right. What Uh, is A and how do I make them? And basically we figure out that Voldemort did what no other wizard did before and split his soul into seven parts. Mm -hmm. And uh, until all seven of these Horcruxes containing his soul are destroyed, Voldemort can't die. But basically, Dumbledore and Harry go after one of the Horcruxes. awful to watch harry just watches dumbledore and he thinks he's killing himself he thinks dumbledore is dying because Voldemort basically has so many protection spells and charms and everything around these horcruxes that you basically practically have to torture yourself and practically kill yourself to retrieve one and uh after some pretty intense moments of dumbledore nearly dying they get the locket go back to hogwarts where tragedy strikes Major tragedy. Major, major tragedy. Death Eaters have infiltrated the school. Malfoy and a bunch of them have Dumbledore cornered. Snape shows up, pushes Malfoy out of the way, and... Kills Dumbledore. And Alan Rickman said about this scene that he was happy he was not the one falling from the tower again like he did in Die Hard. Oh, that's hilarious. That's really funny. This book has some pretty cool Christmas stuff. 
It does. It does. We have Christmas at the borough, oh. which <laughs> I just, I don't know. Their, their house is just so warm. It feels like it home. Is. But Bill comes home for Christmas and he brings his fiance, Fleur. And none of this is in the movie. No. They are home briefly, but they add this ridiculous scene where Death Eaters come up and attack the burrow, which is contrary to everything we know about the books that Dumbledore put the burrow under some intense enchantments, which is why he let Harry go there during the summer and Christmas. So what's Christmassy to me about this one is not so much, the, at least in the film, not so much the burrow stuff, but the Slughorn's little Christmas get-together he puts on. Yeah. Which is very funny. He has Neville as a waiter <laughs> and uh, Cormac McLaggen, who's this big jockey Quidditch player who thinks he's like the best on the Gryffindor team, uh, ends up puking on Snape's shoes and Snape just looks down and is like 10 points from Gryffindor. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, it wasn't in the movies, but this is the year Harry got the gift from Creature. What did he get? Creature sent Harry the package of maggots. <laughs> what? Oh, yeah, because Harry inherited Creature after Sirius. Yeah. So that but, was his... Uh, he, oh, had a cinem- right. he had a cinema Christmas present, and Harry liked it more than uh, Ron's necklace. <laughs> <laughs> that was this book, right? Yeah, it was this one. Because yeah. in book seven, Creature likes Harry, because they right. kind of make up, yeah. But there is something notable that happens at Christmas at the Burrow in the book that's not in the movie. And that's when the new minister for magic, Rufus Scrimgeour, visits Harry and kind of at the Burrow to talk to him. And he kind of asks him, hey, can you kind of be our poster boy for the ministry's effort in combating Voldemort? Mm-hmm. And Harry gets pretty testy with him. He's like, where was the ministry last year when I was telling everyone Voldemort was back? And... Uh, him and Scrimgeour kind of get into it and Scrimgeour kind of makes a crack about Dumbledore. Dumbledore's not going to be there to look after you forever, Potter. And Harry's like, yeah, well, Professor Umbridge, uh, Cornelius Fudge tried to get rid of Dumbledore and Dumbledore's still headmaster. He's not minister anymore, is he? And Harry was kind of like giving it back to him, which I really liked. But, uh, well, I think Harry's finding his confidence at this point. <laughs> After you defeat Voldemort five times, I guess maybe you begin to get confident at that point. Well, Harry's just snarky in this book in general. Like, there's one defense against the dark arts class. He has his Snape. And I forget what Harry says. He's just like, yes. And Snape is like, yes, sir. And Harry's like, there's no need to call me sir, professor. And Snape Snape ends up giving him detention. (laughs) But no, the slug party. I like Slughorn's slug club parties. I thought they were very funny. Oh, they just felt creepy to me. And... Oh, but no, you know what I loved? And it was in the movie and the book. I love that Harry asked Luna to go with him. I love Luna Lovegood. She's so bizarre, but I love that Harry kind of found her endearing. So I like in the book how they're kind of describing the Christmas setting there at the Weasleys. I like the part that says, Fred, George, Harry, and Ron were the only ones who knew that the angel on top of the tree was actually a garden gnome that had bitten Fred on the ankle as he pulled carrots out for Christmas dinner. Stupefied, painted gold, stuffed into miniature tutu, and with small wings glued to its back, it glowered down at them all, the ugliest angel Harry had ever seen, with a large bald head like a potato and rather hairy feet. (laughs) Wait, so is it this Christmas they're all kind of sitting around after dinner and they're talking about the werewolves and Voldemort? So I kind of like that. Mm -hmm. That's kind of like the... 
wizard version of ghost stories, right? Death theaters yeah. back in the day. And I could see yeah. that. Yeah, there yeah. you go. But uh, this one, yeah, I don't think this one has a Linus moment either. No, no Linus moment. No Linus moment. So on to the last book and second to last movie since it was split into two. Mm. Uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Dumbledore is dead. Harry knows he has to hunt down and destroy all of Voldemort's horcruxes before he can kill Voldemort. So him, Ron, and Hermione leave school. And basically hit the road on an extended camping trip and uh, go <laughs> go backpacking across the country looking for Voldemort's Horcruxes to destroy them. Uh, eventually, they find them all, except for Ravenclaw's diadem. This leads them back to Hogwarts, where it's hidden. Voldemort, at this point, realizes they've tracked down his other Horcruxes, and uh, him and the Death Eaters surround the school, and... It's basically Hogwarts' last stand against Voldemort and his forces, and Harry manages to kill Voldemort. So. Harry's walking around with the knowledge, too, that he, is pro- he believes he is going to die. Hmm. Yes, he Throughout is. Because film. he figures out that a piece of Voldemort's soul is in broke him. off and attached itself to him. So he has to die, too. So Christmas in this book, um, Ron's gone. Him and Harry had an enormous fight about, because the Horcrux locket was bringing out the bad feelings and all of them, and Ron had this enormous fight with Harry, and he stormed off and left Harry and Hermione in the wilderness. wilderness. So it's Harry and Hermione alone at this point, and they go to visit Godric's Hollow, mm-hmm. which is where Harry's parents lived when they were murdered, and they visit the graveyard. <laughs> I don't think they lived when they were murdered. Lived <laughs> when? <laughs> it's getting, for those of you listening, it's getting very late for all of us. Um, especially for Anthony. Especially for Anthony. <laughs> so they visit the graveyard where Harry's parents are buried. Harry's never been there before, so this is the first time he's seen their grave. And um, the book does it better than the movie, in my opinion, uh-huh. because this beautiful memorial kind of appears out of nowhere to Lily and James, like as if you can only be magic to see it. Mm-hmm. It's this beautiful statue with uh, the dates of birth and death on it. And uh, yeah, Harry gets choked up visiting it. In the movie, there's a really sweet scene where he lays his head on Hermione's shoulder and Hermione comforts him. And uh, the sweetness is undercut moments later when Bathilda Bagshot lures him back to her house and it turns out she's actually dead and it's Voldemort snake inhabiting this woman's body and it comes out of her neck and attacks her in her mind it's good feelings gone it was yeah that was such a that was such a sweet scene to end like that (laughs) the book though the way she describes that snake coming out of that woman's neck is horrifying brutal it's yeah it's visceral. I mean, in the movie, they, they tamed it down big time in the movie. I think yeah. it's palatable for people, but... I, like, I feel if they did it exactly as the book was described, that could have bordered on like R-rated territory right there. Border? Just for... Yeah. I think it would have <laughs> seen the R rating and kept running. <laughs> I mean, it was graphic. But um, I remember just reading it, it felt traumatizing. Yeah, I know. I totally agree. I don't know if that speaks more to the actual... Uh, to what I read or... You know, or to my imagination of, of from what I read, or to uh, no, it definitely speaks more to uh, J.K. Mm. Rawlings writing style. But the scene at the graveyard is very cute, and uh, Harry even sees 
his former house, which is kind of left up in ruins, but again, only for wizarding wizards to see. There's a little plaque marking the spot. But I thought in the movie it looked very pretty with all the snow in the graveyard. And they, yeah. they, Hermione yeah. has the conjures a wreath to put on their grave. I thought that was very mm-hmm. nice. And the Christmas singing in the background is kind of eerie, but also I like it. Christmassy. Yeah, yeah. It was beautiful. Yeah. No, totally. But yeah, I don't I mean that was the only Christmassy book bit in this book, the graveyard scene. So I don't really yeah. have anything. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Nothing. Just real quick, which one which movie did the Christmas the best and which book did Christmas the best? Well, I will definitely rule seven out for both of those. Mm-hmm. Seven slash seven and eight. I did really like Christmas in the Burrow, but mm, mm, this is tough, man. I'm gonna say for me, movie it was number four. I love the Yule Ball. Uh, book it was number five. I loved everything at the hospital in Grimwald Place. I, I think I have to say the the movie was five for me. I did like I liked I even like Grimwald Place there. I didn't like the ball as much. I think it was because of all the teen angst it stressed me out. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as books go. I've got to go with number one just because it was so new and exciting. And I felt like I was seeing all of the, the, the magic and magic of Christmas combining in Harry's eyes. Yeah. I would argue one is probably the warmest Christmas scene yeah. out of all of them. Although I really like Christmas and hog. I don't know. And hogs made too. It's tough. They're all so good. <sighs> they really are. So Julie, what do you think? Yeah. One is my favorite book Christmas scene. And Phoenix is my favorite movie Christmas at Grimwald Place. So we agree. Yeah. Yeah. We're so basic, Julia. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> so that was fun. I'm glad we finally got a full episode to talk Harry Potter, guys. Me too. Me too. <laughs> we needed that. Speaking of episodes, did you see all the positive feedback we were getting for the, our bonus Christmas in July episode? Yeah. People, people dug it. People loved it. People like to hear us ramble. I can do that all day long, guys. I like to hear other people's voices, too. That was so much fun for us. Yeah, it was. Let us know on social media if you want us to set up um, a voicemail where you can call in and do voice comments and contribute um, that way to the podcast. Because I did like hearing our our listeners. Mm -hmm. Where can they let us know, Tom? They can let us know on all of the social medias. We are on Reddit at our Tis the Podcast. We are on Facebook and Instagram as Tis the Podcast and on Twitter at Tis the Pod. Or you can always email us at elves at tisthepodcast.com and that goes to all of us as well. And if you enjoyed this Harry Potter episode and are really wanting more, we actually have more for you on our Patreon site. The complete unedited version of our Harry Potter marathon recording of all the Christmas scenes and everything else in Harry Potter is on our Patreon site. So if you're a Potterhead, then like you'll be in good company. Um, If you're not, we also have other material on there as well. Um, Some Halloween special stuff and some extra office stuff if you're a fan of the office um and other things and more stuff coming so you can check us out at patreon.com just search for tis the podcast and it just takes a small amount of patronage a dollar a month uh, to gain access to that extra material what do you get to host next week tom oh thank you guys i am (laughs) so excited (laughs) that next week we will be talking about the 2017 cartoon 
All I Want for Christmas, starring Mariah Carey. And we this was suggested to us by loyal listener Charlene. We love Charlene. We Charlene. love Charlene. We love Charlene so much, we put this on our schedule. <laughs> <laughs> and I like Charlene so much, I suggest that we take it off because I'm concerned that I'm going to hurt Charlene's, make Charlene hate our show. Oh, no. So do your homework and watch it, guys. I would love to hear all of your feedback on that film. But if that's not exciting enough for you, I have some pretty exciting news. There are only 141 days until Christmas. Even better. That is only 20 weeks. We have the guy on Reddit who is now counting down by seconds. Did y'all oh, see that? That's awesome. That is awesome. No, it sounds so far away. <laughs> <laughs> it's all the seconds. <laughs> Can you believe in another month, just about a month and change, we're out of a, under 100? That's crazy. That is crazy. I can't believe crazy it. Crazy awesome. I'm ready for the weather to come and match up with that. Oh, one more month until it starts cooling down a little bit, hopefully. Well, for here, three probably. Three months for us. I was about to say for here, probably it's another two months. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, hey, in all fairness, we usually don't have 100 degree September days. It's true. <laughs> oh, that makes me sad. So do your homework, guys. Until next week. Happy Christmas, Harry. It's Wingardium Leviosar. Christmas night. Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, bring 